You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. A science story, huh? It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This Valentine's Day week, we're bringing you two stories of science and romance coming together in unfortunate ways. Our first story this week is from Faith Dukes. It was recorded in September 2016 at Oberon in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The theme was Turning Points. I am a stickler for time and timelines and checklist. And I have visions of vision boards and goals that I have for my life. And I have probably had more fights with friends or breakups because someone was late or changed our plans at the last minute. My undergrad institution had this slogan, to be early is to be on time, to be on time is to be late, and to be late is unacceptable. It was a match made in heaven. So I have this thing about timelines, and sometimes I wonder, where did this come from? Who made me think about these timelines all the time? And then I get on the phone with my parents, and they have questions like, are you meeting new people? Have you been out lately? Do you have a boyfriend? Are you getting closer? And I get it. I'm on bridesmaid dress number eight or nine, and they can no longer congratulate me on being a good friend. It's more like, that's nice. I'd eventually like to go to your wedding one day. And so, We have these conversations, and again, I get it. It's frustrating, but I get it. And I know that underneath those questions are real questions. Are you happy? Are you leading a fulfilled life? Did we do everything right with you? Are you okay? And sometimes I hang up the phone and I go, is everything okay? Is there anything wrong with me? And I think about it and I think about those answers and I think to the alternate life, the alternate life that 18-year-old me had, 18-year-old me who knew everything. She was a fortune teller. She had a timeline. 
And around 18, I looked at my birth certificate and I noticed my mother's birth date. And I noticed how old she was. She was 28 when she had me. And I did a little math. She was 22 when she um, got married and graduated from college, 23 when she had my brother, 28 when she had me. Perfect. This would be my timeline. I have it right in front of me. Never mind that they were divorced two years later after I was born or that I'd never been on a date at 18. I knew I could accomplish this goal in four years. So I wrote out my timeline. Step one, go to college, major in science. Because how would I get my children at the top of the science fair podium if I don't have a fundamental background in science? (laughs) Step two, find some unsuspecting guy and get him to put a ring on it. (laughs) Step three, graduate with my BS in one hand and my MRS in another. Step four, have some kids. Perfect. I've got it all down. So I get to college and I have fun and I meet these wonderful women that I will one day be a bridesmaid to. And it's, it's great. But I get to graduation with my BS in one hand and no ring on the other. And I'm okay with this because nobody else is getting married yet and I still have a little bit of time so I do what any self-respecting student would do and I give myself an extension. (laughs) Plan A that I had .ext for extension would now be get married at 28. Have kids soon after. We'd be good. So I start on that alternate path of going to grad school. And it's wonderful, and I'm learning and doing research and really getting into the things that I love and teaching. And again, not really dating or going out, and I'm getting closer and closer and closer to this extended timeline date of 28. And again, I start to think, What's wrong here? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with us? What are we doing wrong? So I start some mini goals. Step one, lose some weight. Guys like skinnier girls. Step two, go down the rabbit hole that is online dating. (laughs) And because... I'm a person who likes to have goals and checklists, minimum three dates a month. That's how we do it. That's how we get this goal accomplished. Step three again, meet that guy. Step four, have kids, you know. (laughs) We got it. So we do those things. I join an MMA gym. And... I'm getting closer to graduation, and I found this love for boxing. (laughs) And I'm also 50 pounds lighter, and I also have this PhD in chemistry. And it's... (laughs) 
it's exciting. And I also realize along with it, I have this family, this family of women who box as well, and this family of women who've had me be at their sides on their big day and their children who call me auntie and the biological family that I have that supports me in every step of the way. And I have kids. They are the children that come to the MIT Museum where I work and I build experiences for them that show them what science and engineering can be. And I tell them that you do not need a certain background or a specific look in order to be a part of this world. Those are my children. And it's a fulfilling life. And as I was thinking about the story that I would tell you all tonight, I decided there was kind of one thing missing. So I went back down the rabbit hole And I took a break from my dating sabbatical to online date again. And I started talking with this guy who said all the wonderful things. And he was this big romantic. And he said to me one day, what if you get to this opportunity tonight and you're telling this story and I'm sitting with in the audience, looking at you, and I'm your boyfriend. And boy, did he kill my vibe. Because I was really, like, working on what I was going to say, and then you're messing it up, and I had what I was going to say. And sorry to tell you all tonight, he is not in the audience. (laughs) It did not work out. But it reminded me that even pragmatic me is sometimes a sucker for romance. And even if it hasn't happened yet on my checklist, it still could. So now I have an asterisk by it, which means it's still possible. It hasn't happened yet, but the story is untold. This journey has not been lived yet, but It's great so far. And so on the journey with these untold stories, I may not know what's happening yet, but sometimes I get some answers. The first is, yes, mom and dad, you did do a good job. And the second is no faith. There is nothing wrong with you. Thank you. That was Faith Dukes. Faith is an education coordinator at the MIT Museum where she creates interactive sessions for middle and high school students to explore using MIT's exhibitions, collections, and current research. Her dedication to outreach has extended to the local community where she chairs the Boston Blueprint Conference for Middle and High School Girls. Stay tuned for the next story after this message from our sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by CuriosityStream, a subscription streaming service that offers over 1,500 documentaries and nonfiction series from some of the world's best filmmakers. 
Curiosity Stream is the world's first ad-free nonfiction streaming service. It was founded by John Hendricks, founder of Discovery Communications, your guaranteed access to factual educational programs and not the reality TV shows currently plaguing cable TV. It's available on many platforms, including a web app, Roku, Android, iOS, Chromecast, Amazon Fire, Amazon Kindle, and Apple TV, and is available in 196 countries worldwide. Their content spans history, science, nature, technology, and more. A couple of their original exclusive titles that might particularly appeal to Story Collider listeners include Deep Time History, an exclusive three-part original documentary series that tells the story of the universe's 14-billion-year history and origin, and Stephen Hawking's Favorite Places, an original documentary in which renowned physicist Stephen Hawking travels across the universe in a CGI spaceship, making stops at some of his favorite places, from Saturn to black holes to the Big Bang to Santa Barbara. Plans start at just $2.99 per month. That's less than a cup of coffee or the cost of one title on completing platforms. So check out curiositystream.com slash sign up and use promo code STORYCOLLIDER to get unlimited access to the world's top documentaries and nonfiction series completely free for the first 60 days. That's two entire months free of one of the largest 4K libraries around. So go to curiositystream.com slash sign up and use promo code STORYCOLLIDER. Welcome back. Our second story today is from Kara Gail O'Regan. It was recorded in August 2016 at the Wild Project in New York City as part of the Festival of the Unknown. So when I was unceremoniously dumped via text message, I felt deeply hurt and deeply violated, but... I felt really violated because against my better judgment, I had been having unprotected sex with that person, you know, while the whole time we were dating. And uh, I felt especially violated once he told me that he was also doing that with other people the whole time, and I had no idea. So uh, I'm somebody who likes to intellectualize things, so I don't have to actually have feelings about them. And uh, I decided that I was going to take myself, I was going to go get an STI test, and science would tell me I'm fine, and then I would have to feel okay about this whole thing. Uh, Up to then, compared to most people, I had been pretty responsible. Uh, Growing up, my best friend's mother was actually our high school sex ed teacher. So uh, even though that scarred my dear friend for life, uh, it gave me the tools and the knowledge that I needed to protect myself. Uh, So I was fairly confident about my status going into this relationship. I had been tested before him and after anyone else. And so I decided that I was going to take myself to Planned Parenthood on my next day off. I scooped myself up feeling uh, slightly empowered, but still mostly wounded. And as I drove past the abortion protesters that were situated just at the entrance to the, uh, the strip mall where this facility was located, I got so angry at them, and it was such a welcome change from being so angry at myself for getting myself into this situation in the first place. Um, I just, my mind was swimming with all of the, like, evidence-based things that I wanted to yell at them as I left, but then I found that the door to Planned Parenthood was actually locked, and I figured, oh, maybe they're opening late today for some undisclosed reason, so I decided to wait, 
And my lonely party of one was then joined by a pregnant woman who was in her second trimester, a teen couple who kind of couldn't keep their hands off of each other, and a few older women who definitely had better things to do that day. About an hour and a half later, somebody finally came by and told us that they actually weren't going to be opening at all that day. They had an internal training workshop that they had to do. So of all the days, it had to be this one. I drove off, kind of preoccupied with what I was going to do next, didn't even think about the abortion protesters. I was on a mission. That was definitely clear. I was so determined to get tested on that day that I went home, I found another Planned Parenthood online, and I jumped back in the car. Uh, That second Planned Parenthood was thankfully without any protesters, and this one was actually open, uh, which was great. Um, But by that time of the day, it had gotten pretty crowded, so I had to wait quite a while longer. Uh, By the time that I got to actually like speak to a nurse, she informed me that the incubation periods for many of the uh, infections that they would be testing for was actually longer than the time that had elapsed since I was last with my partner, which was a bummer. She told me it was still too early, but she moved forward and did the testing anyway because I was so insistent about it. And I told her, I don't care what kind of samples you need to take from my body. I want the whole panel, everything, just take them. Um, I did finally break down crying when I was in their bathroom trying to pee in the sad little Dixie cup that they had given me. Uh, Turns out that providing urine samples under duress is not one of my talents. And... (laughs) I then realized also that I had completely forgotten to stay hydrated on this day because I was so determined. So getting a blood sample was also really difficult. Uh, By the time I got home, it was kind of early evening and I was exhausted and very dehydrated and no more comforted by this exercise than I had been when I walked out the door that morning. Uh, I think I actually felt worse. But I was happy to put this portion of the ordeal behind me and didn't even think about the tests again for a couple weeks, at least not until my phone rang with an unknown number that I let go to voicemail. Uh, I immediately regretted letting it go to voicemail once I listened back to the message and heard that it was the New Jersey Board of Health calling to uh, talk to me about the results of some tests I had done. Um, All it took was hearing bored of health to make my vagina immediately start burning and send my mind into doomsday scenarios where I definitely had AIDS and definitely had every other sexually transmitted infection known to humankind, possibly even a few we hadn't yet discovered. When I summoned the courage to finally return that phone call, I spoke to a man named Carlos, whose cool and calm demeanor made me feel a lot more relaxed. I would later learn that the reason he was so calm was that compared to some of the shit that he'd seen, uh, this was very small potatoes. He'd seen some shit. He'd gone into public health after watching almost all of his friends die from AIDS in the 80s and 90s. He'd been with the Board of Health almost 20 years and walked people through these moments of terror every single day. Uh, Talking to people about abnormal test results for him was no more scary than filing an expense report. That's actually kind of scary for some people, but you know, any semblance of chill that I had had went right out the window when he informed me that I had actually tested positive for syphilis. 
Apparently, it's relatively uncommon for women in the 21st century to contract syphilis. So uh, this would actually not be the first time or the last time that I would experience a relatively unusual health event. Uh, weird but not unheard of was a phrase that I had heard out of the mouths of my healthcare providers so often over the years it could actually be the title to my memoir. <laughs> Carlos explained that it might just be a false positive, and so he then proceeded to ask a long series of very detailed questions about my sexual history, more detailed than from anyone I had ever actually had sex with. <laughs> I remember only his last question because it was the only one that I was able to answer with gusto, because it was the only one that had nothing to do with sexual encounters I might have preferred to forget. He asked, have you ever had Lyme disease before? And I just immediately said, yes, I contracted it in 2008 after a camping trip, but didn't get treated for five months because I was so used to feeling unwell in the first place. I didn't even realize I was sick. But what on earth does Lyme disease have to do with this test result? He then explained that Lyme, the Lyme bacteria and the syphilis bacteria are actually both spirochetes, and they're kind of cousins of each other. So these diagnostic tests are looking at the presence of the antibodies and not for the presence of the bacteria itself. So hilariously, it's actually pos possible for a past Lyme infection to cause a false positive on a syphilis test. Great way to find out. So... Um, I was not thrilled with the emotional roller coaster that this phone call had been so far, but uh, this was music to my ears. He told me that I would have to come in for a confirmation test, but the confirmation test, still only 50% accurate. So uh, my previous partner would need to come in or get tested elsewhere and have his results sent to verify my results. Carlos asked if I wanted him to handle it or if I would inform my partner. And I decided that I was going to do it myself. I decided I was going to write an email. I was going to explain the situation, explain that it was probably a false positive, uh, but that the very least he could do was handle this in a swift and sensitive manner. Addressing the email, I remembered suddenly that I had actually deleted his contact information in a moment of spiteful rage. <laughs> And so I was sure that I could remember his email address from memory, uh, and I typed it in and sent the email as soon as possible because I just wanted this to be done as soon as possible. Several days went by with no response, uh, so I decided that I was going to check his email address against our customer database at work. And to my horror and despair... His email was actually nickname.lastname at gmail.com and not firstname.lastname at gmail.com as I had misremembered and entered it. I never got an undeliverable message back from that email address, so it definitely exists. Uh, there are definitely several other people out there with his same name that definitely exist. So somebody definitely got that email, but deleted it and had the sense to never contact me, and I am so thankful for that. So I spent the rest of that day at work full of that like hot shame and anxiety, uh, just thinking I was going to barf or pass out or do both at the same time. And so I left work, I went straight to my friend's house and collapsed in her arms, weeping and yelling, 
This is going to be funny someday, right? We're going to laugh about this real soon. When I finished crying, I took a deep breath and sent the email again. And this time, sent it to the correct address. So, good job, me. Uh, and on my next day off, I headed into the Board of Health for that confirmation test. It turned out that their protocol was actually to start treatment immediately, which meant before getting the results of the confirmation test, before getting the results from that last partner. And it turned out also that that treatment is antibiotic shots in your butt, several of them over the course of several weeks. And over those several weeks, I had, despite the email making it to the correct inbox this time, I had to follow up with my partner like four or five times before he finally went and got tested. By that time, I had had three full three syringes full of antibiotics injected directly into my butt cheeks, all the while still totally unsure if I had actually contracted syphilis or if this was just another in a long string of misdiagnoses. At the end of it all, I never did actually have syphilis, uh, but I did get a yeast infection from the antibiotics. So that was fun. Um, but this story has a happy ending. Uh, as I was recovering from that yeast infection, I met my current partner. This summer, we're together for five years. Uh, two and a half years after that intensely humiliating medical surprise, I would finally start to get answers about why I had had so many of those weird but not, not unheard of health events in my life. Uh, after 20 years of unexplained symptoms, I would finally get diagnosed with a genetic disorder that most people have never heard of, no one is quite sure how it's pronounced, and it often requires that I give people several basic anatomy and physiology lessons before I can even explain it to people. Along the way, I've learned that what we don't know about the human body so far outsizes what little we do know, but that the doctors that I'll see in my lifetime are under the impression that the exact opposite of that is true. I learned that being chronically ill means you often need to learn to live with total uncertainty while floating through a system that is built on the illusion of absolute certainty. And I learned that the results of diagnostic tests are not as black and white as we like to think that they are. And thankfully, this story is very funny to me now. <laughs> Thank you. That was Kara Gale O'Regan. Kara is an artist, health advocate, and podcaster who has more than two decades of lived experience with complex chronic illness. Her podcast, In Sickness and in Health, features interviews with people about their relationships with their bodies and discussions about the intersections with chronic illness, disability, health care, and mortality. She tweets about life and living with chronic illness at BIMPSE, at B-I-M-P-S-E. If you enjoyed today's story or a fan of the podcast, please consider subscribing or writing us a review on iTunes. It helps us climb up the rankings and that helps new listeners find the podcast. This project was supported by Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. The Story Collider is produced by me with Brian Wecht, Aaron Barker, R.A. Daniel, Christine Gentry, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, Cassie Soliday, Nissa Greenberg, and Liz Neely. The podcast is produced by Zoe Saunders and the theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Oberon and The Wild Project for hosting the shows and to Capitalism for Valentine's Day. Thanks for listening.
Thanks again to CuriosityStream, a subscription streaming service that offers over 1,500 documentaries and nonfiction series from some of the world's best filmmakers for sponsoring our episode today. Again, Curiosity Stream is the world's first ad-free nonfiction streaming service with over 1,500 titles and 600 hours of content that spans history, science, nature, technology, and more. Plans start at $2.99 a month. Go to curiositystream.com slash sign up and use promo code STORYCOLLIDER for unlimited access to the world's top documentaries and nonfiction series completely free for the first 60 days.